Hey, yeah, no peoples. We're in season four, and we want to thank you for joining us on this wonderful journey. If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing to us. We love that you listen, but subscribing will help us more than you'll ever know. Also, regardless of which method you use to listen to your podcasts, please, 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 please leave us a review. We love to hear from you, and we want to know what's working, what's not. You can also drop us a line at our website, yeahnopodcast.com. But if all that's too much, we get it. The smallest contribution is subscribing. Thanks again for listening, and we intend on delivering a kick-ass fourth season for you. I just want to be clear that we're sitting in a sauna. It's really hot. So if my face turns red, it's because Michael's trying to <gasps> put us in one of those hot tents in, like, Arizona. What are those called? The Shaman Lodge? Yeah, the Lodge. I hope you guys have some vision. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, so hot. Sorry, all right. <laughs> Hey, this is Tina. This is Mia. And you're listening to Yeah No, the podcast about having a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. All right, we're here. Good Hi. morning. What are we talking about today? I love the title of this episode. We're at episode 33, and the title is Designing for the Undiagnosable. So we recently had a couple of topics come to us at Diagram, our, our business that focuses on healthcare, that are a little different from normal projects. Right. And in the healthcare space, we've always dealt with things like chronic disease or care or sometimes it's acute care sometimes it is a health related issue like mental health and the two new topics were something called mild cognitive impairment mci and the second one was frailty and they're interesting because they're not clinically diagnosable diseases right so we thought we'd talk about it today because they are a little different yeah and i think that What's interesting about them is that they affect almost everyone at some stage of their life, but they're kind of thought from the general population as old people, right? concerns or conditions. Right. And so we've heard them be called a lot of different things, like it's a, a clinical descriptor or that it's a condition, but they're not considered, quote unquote, diseases. Right. I also have one story of health to share. We had a woman who was had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, MS, and we were talking to her about her MCI related to MS. And she really, in our conversation, expressed a frustration around her MCI, and she felt completely unsupported. She felt that no one really understood the challenges related to MCI that she suffered from, and that she really felt like it outweighed the condition of MS. And she was excited and thrilled that we were talking to her about it because she felt like no one, her, her doctor, never addressed it. Her family didn't address it. And they just thought, oh, you're so smart. You went to college and you finished all these things. And she's like, that's not what MCI is about. Mm-hmm. And when we talked to her, you know, she really almost seemed overwhelmed by the exhaustion that is caused by MCI for her. And she seemed 
pretty depressed, honestly. She had stopped working when she was in her 20s. She was Mm. in her mid-40s. And she expressed how she doesn't do anything. She can't really drive, so she walks to the local museum or the local library every day, that she doesn't interact with a lot of people, that she's a part of this book club, but she never remembers any part of the book. So, you know, she had these kind of things where she was telling us about how depressed she was and how solitary her life is. And what was incredible about it was that I didn't walk away from that interview thinking, oh, she really loved that interview and it was great. But she told someone else about it who then came to us and said, I heard about this amazing interview that you did. And somewhere after that interview, she must have processed something about just being fortunate enough that somebody is talking about it. And I think that that just struck me because it was such a surprise. And the person that came to us really said, you know, it it made such a huge difference for mm-hmm. her because just to be able to talk about the experiences of living with MCI because no one talks about it was transformative, you know. And I thought that it really expressed the kind of silent suffering that people are doing because no one is addressing the issue of MCI. That's right. That's right. Let's talk a little bit of background about both MCI and frailty. We did a a big project early on this year about MCI. Yeah. And a little bit of background about MCI is that it's actually a description of an individual based on their performance of a test. And the test is on memory and thinking skills. And a doctor or even a caregiver could give this test to an individual And it's measured by these activities of daily living, what they call IADL, Instrumental Activities of Daily Living. And those things include things like cleaning, cooking, taking medications, managing money. Like things you just need to do. Do on a daily basis. And the question is whether or not you can perform those things by yourself with help, not by yourself at all. Somebody has to do it or you don't do it at all whether or not you know you uh, for example have a hobby is right. a question and if you don't have any hobbies then you probably score pretty low on the IADL scale right. even though sometimes I wonder if I have a hobby really yeah you don't think you have a hobby what's my hobby oh no I'm going into crisis mode <laughs> um you like to garden yeah you like to cook all right You like to canoe? Okay, okay, okay. So canoeing. The signs of MCI are not necessarily obvious. And uh, one of the biggest challenges is that sometimes it can be confused with just general memory loss. Right. Which happens a lot. I have general memory loss. Yes. But what the craziest thing is, is that MCI affects over 6 million people. Yeah. Which is, you know... More than half the population of New York City. Right. Right. Which is crazy. It's really distinguished by confusion over something. Yeah. And there was a term, too, called cog fog. Yeah, which was, you know, when you feel like your brain is just in a fog. And I think that the, the good example of this would be that it's not about misplacing your keys. It's about finding your keys in the freezer. Oh, So that's kind of the difference between what confusion and right. just general memory loss might be. 
And what about background and frailty? So frailty is kind of similar, right? It's not a, a disease or a condition. It is clinically recognized as a state of being more vulnerable physically or mentally due to a decline in your physiologic systems. So your inability to cope with everyday or immediate stresses in life. And it's measured by things like weight loss, exhaustion, decline in your physical activity level, slowness, weakness. And what's interesting is that it does lead to an increased risk of poor health outcomes, including falls, hospitalizations, infections, other disabilities as well. That's the similarity between MCI and frailty, I think, which is that they are preemptors or oftentimes people see them as signs for what might be a more serious issue like a fall or a disability or an infection. And that's why I think people are in heightened awareness around them because if they see that there might be symptoms of cognitive impairment or symptoms of frailty, they're concerned that it might lead to something that could be more longer term. Um, so why... Why did we want to talk what, about this? Why did we want to talk about this? Yeah. Isn't that my question to you? No, it's my question to you. Wait. I, I can talk about it. Say it again. So why do we want to talk about this? The, these two topics, MCI and frailty? One of the biggest things is that this is a really gray area. Not a lot of people are doing work in this space. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because there's no business model around it right now. People oftentimes are asking us to do research in a space where, you know, they have a, a therapy or they have something that they can actually Investment. do in this space. Yeah. Yep. They're new and they're different. And one of the interesting things about them is that these descriptions or these conditions scale across. So it doesn't mean that because you're old, you might have both of these things. It doesn't mean that because you have Parkinson's, you have these things. They they will scale across disease states. They will scale across ages. They will scale across, you know, demographics, for example. And the reason why I think some of the companies that we've been talking to are interested is because Technology, for example, has always been focused on younger, more fit, more well people. And when we think about the lifespan of someone, right, different factors or different needs are going to come into play. Yeah. And I think it's really smart. It's smart for us to say, like, okay, well, if we look at this idea of MCI in society today, what does that mean? And I think one of the assumptions are things like smart homes or gaming or, you know, all of these things that we're looking at to address how do we help somebody that's got MCI or who's frail. But I think when we think about it from a human point of view, we really wanted to just discuss what are the implications for people who have MCI or frailty. Yeah, I think that that brings up a good point is that one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it is that there's not a simple solution to it. It's a multi-dimensional kind of multimodal experience to be frail or to have cognitive impairment. Right. And so there, there's not really a silver bullet. And when we think about these conditions, we really need to think about all of the dimensions that are being affected by just not being able to remember something right. or not being able to recognize a face. It hurts someone so deeply 
that's the what we found out in the cognitive impairment study is that they are really struggling when they have to be reminded by someone else of who this person is sitting in front of them. That can be really frustrating for them, obviously, and embarrassing, which I think is a big challenge. I mean, it reminds me so much. We talked to Sarah Hendren, who's a designer and researcher and disability politics advocate, last season, season three, an episode, what was that, 29? Yeah. And she talked about the crossover from a medical model to a social model. And I really feel like this fits into this idea where this can really change the way that we approach it or look at it. If we start to look at MCI or frailty through a medical lens, right? There's no treatment. There's nothing we can do for these people. It's gray. It's it's complicated. But what, what's been interesting in when these topics have been presented to us is really thinking about it in terms of what does this mean as a social condition? How do we make sure that we're thinking about self-defined quality of life? Or how can we work with people to understand what, what they want to achieve and what would be the best outcome for them versus you know trying to think about it as what kind of treatments or what kind of remedies can we apply to people, right? Like if we think about frailty or having cognitive impairment, it may be about trying to figure out what's the best life for people and how do we redesign the world around people knowing that some of these issues are occurring. Yeah, that's a good point. It actually is relevant for the big question that I had, which was, do you think it's better to know or not to know? Well, what's interesting is that you, it may not matter if you know or you don't know, you know, like you are who you are. Right. I think like in the model of chronic disease, there's a constant seeking out of what's wrong with me. What's going on in my body? How do I, how do I feel better? How do I know what's happening so I can address this? But in, in the case of MCI and frailty, I'm not sure. Does it really matter? It's funny. I, I stand actually on opposite sides of the question for each state. So for MCI, I feel like it's better to know. In frailty, I feel like it's better not to know. And here's why. I met a lot of people who have MCI, almost 30. And the ones that knew and acknowledged had built amazing workarounds to kind of help them along. Right. And the ones that didn't kind of, you know, trudged along and... We have this really great quote that basically said, you live life one second at a time. Yeah. Like, because every second something can be different, right? And so for me, I just, uh, being type A as I am, I would rather try to build my workarounds, even though there's nothing I can do, but at least build my workarounds to operate like a quote unquote normally functioning human being. Does it really matter? It does. It matters to me. It doesn't. I don't. I don't care. Like, if, it would, if to you knew else. you couldn't remember, wouldn't you just come up with a workaround versus being like, "Oh, the doctor told me that." I oh, am. I don't need. No, but I don't think that it's about a doctor. I think it's about self recognition. That's what I mean by like knowing or not knowing. So you came across people that didn't self recognize that something was. Different? Oh yeah, absolutely. They well, they recognize they self recognized in some fashion because. Right. They screened into the study, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that they didn't necessarily self-recognize the severity of their situation. Mm. But I think for frailty, almost I'm on the opposite side where I, I think I would rather not admit that I'm frail 
because otherwise I feel like I'd be restricting myself on the things that I could do. And I almost feel like like admitting frailty begets more frailty. You know, it's like it's like when you get older and you I don't know, stop riding roller coasters because now you know that, you know, one in every whatever million people die on a roller coaster, you know. So I think that that fear gets larger. And with frailty, my fear would be that you become a shut in or, or somebody stops kind of living just normal daily life because they don't want to get hurt or, you know. Right. A good example of the reason why I feel like I wouldn't want to know if I'm frail or not is I see my husband Pete's grandmother, who is 99. She's amazing. And she is amazing. I don't think she actually needs a walker, but she walks with a walker because she's so afraid of falling. Right. Which I get. I understand that. But I almost feel like if a doctor were to tell her she's frail, like, verbally say yep. out loud she's frail she would be even more cautious than she already is and I just feel like I don't know if that would actually benefit her I mean how much longer does she have yeah hopefully 10 years that'd be amazing but you know she's, gonna she's be turning one of those, 100 in July what do you call so. that octogenarian octa no no what is it? over 100 yeah I think it would be like a deca something right we're just gonna call it a hundo she's my hundo <laughs> a hundy Yeah, I go back and forth with it a little bit because I have heard stories, anecdotes about if you, for example, use a walker, then your your muscles get weaker and then you rely on the walker, right? right? But then at the same time, I'm like, if it gives her confidence and it makes her feel secure, then why not? Like, why, why, you know, maybe it's important for her to feel like she can get places and go and she's incredible because she flies to New York every month right yeah she lives in an apartment she lives by herself and those things are so important to her and if it allows her to do the things that are important to her then why why not yeah I agree I think that that's a really good point I think that this is why I feel like what you were saying about Sarah Hendren before is that why we should build things around her, whereas a walker is meant for her to be dependent on it. And so I do think that there's... Changing the built environment. Yeah, I think that there are things that can be done so that she has more confidence and she doesn't have to use a walker or she doesn't have to think that she's frail or that she can be more independent. Yeah. Why do you think these people should be represented? Well, first of all, it may not be these people, right? At any given time, we're all vulnerable and it could happen and likely will happen that we'll experience frailty or MCI. It's important because everyone at some point will feel cognitively challenged or frail. And I think that in thinking about those activities of daily living, those are things that keep us going, right? These challenges intersect with being human in such an important way. And so as we're considering the the world around us, have we really designed things for people who are might have memory issues? Have we really designed things for people who are frail? And why why aren't we? Why hasn't that come into the forefront of what we design? Some of the things that have come out in the world are these like surveillance systems and smart homes to make sure that somebody who's frail is 
not falling, you know, and there's kind of all of these things that I feel like aren't taking into consideration what somebody, how somebody really wants to live and what's important to them. And I like what you were saying about supports because, you know, there's, there may be this idea of interdependency that's really important when we think about meeting these needs around MCI and frailty that a technology may not ever replace. Yeah. I think that the other reason why we wanted to talk about it and represent the people that are managing cognitive impairment or frailty is because they have a high need because they're not being addressed necessarily because it is undiagnosable. And they're silently suffering from these experiences or these challenges. And also because they're very difficult to find because, you know, in their in their own mind, they've kind of set up these incredible workarounds for themselves. And it's almost like they don't know what they don't know. And there hasn't been a lot that has specifically kind of addressed this experience that somebody might be having and it's so stigmatized to be you know that oh it's all downhill from here you know you're 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 going down and I think that in the work that we were doing at least around cognitive impairment is that it, it doesn't have to feel that way you know it's you can prepare for the future but you can also really be leveraging all the things available to make your present as you know, as much as you want it to be, I guess. Right, right. And, you know, by doing this research, by working together in the spirit of co-design, which we talked about in the last episode, and really saying, like, we need to work with people who experience mild cognitive impairment and frailty, because there's no way we're going to understand what their needs or wants are without that point of view and building empathy for what the lived experience is like. This is really interesting. There's a lot of potential for it. Again, it's a new space for us. And I like the mystery of the undiagnosable. Yeah, and I foresee a lot more coming into this space. I just wonder if it's about awareness or building self-awareness or being able to find an audience of people that might be suffering from something that is undiagnosable or something that might not be able to be cured by medication. And it gives another dimension to it. I think in the example of somebody who might have early stages of osteoporosis, for example, and frailty, I think recognizing that, yes, there's things that we can do to prevent the progression of osteoporosis. There's, you know, medications you can take, there's supplements, there's things you can change about your lifestyle. But then also acknowledging that if frailty is a part of it, then then what? What else do we need to consider? Do we need to consider, you know, the way that people get around or how they access things or how they exercise or where does that show up and when? Right. Okay, so stay tuned for the next episode of Yeah, No, episode 34. Are we talking about probes? Another mysterious topic. Not that mysterious. <laughs> if you a say, probe if sounds you say probe. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know what you're probing. Yeah. Or who you're probing. Yeah. Or with what you're probing. All right. 
So if you like what you hear, you should consider subscribing to us. And you can find us at Yeah No Podcast, Y-A-H-N-O. And our theme song is written and performed by Chess Smith. And we recorded this episode at Figure Eight Studios with Michael P. Coleman. This episode is edited and produced by Tori Flack. Thanks for listening. Thank you.